1: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to Episode 184 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is when a family member is dying, a care list for family caregivers. Now, a little bit of background. In 2012, five major European research centres published a research study on the burden of dying on society. They studied 480 million deaths of Europeans in one year and found that 42% resulted from cancer and various incurable diseases. The percentages for Canada and the US are similar. The study, the European study was needed because owing to the aging of the European population, the burden of dying from incurable diseases is expected to increase. The population of North America is also ageing, and because governments take notice of what other governments are doing in response to ageing, the study could be run in North America. Now, the study was intended to prepare for future development of what the researchers called the public health model for the burden of dying on society. So, I asked, where are family caregivers in the public health model now and in the future? Well, and this is the answer I I found, family caregivers are nowhere. If this major European study is anything to go by, that's because family caregivers simply aren't mentioned, which is why our topic, when a family member is dying, a care list for family caregivers is so important. To discuss it, our guest today is Tracy Solaninka. Tracy is a recognized leader in oncology and palliative care at Durham Regional Cancer Center. She's the manager of the outpatient palliative care program. She's extensive experience in the United States and Canada in developing hospice and palliative care home delivery programs. She's received her undergraduate degree in nursing from Arizona State University and her master's degree in oncology from the University of Newcastle in England. A research focus has been on caregiving at the end of life and the challenges facing those individuals who commit to supporting a loved one through the dying process. A strong proponent of the right to die at home, Tracy understands the struggles faced by family caregivers who accompany patients on, and family members, that is, patients on this journey. She's a vocal advocate for caregiver benefits to enable family members to dedicate the time required to support the many physical, psychosocial, and spiritual demands during the dying of a loved one. So welcome to the show, Tracy.
3: Thank you, Gordon. Good to be here.
2: Great. Tracy, let's, first question for you. Please tell us more about your work and also about your own experiences of family caregiving.
3: Let me start with my own experiences to kind of ground this conversation because I, I think unless you've been through this, personally it's very difficult to understand the challenges that we go through um, as we accompany someone and uh, for the family caregivers, this accompaniment is very um, total. It's not you're here one day and you go home, but it, it involves every single day that you're along with this, uh, on this journey with this, this loved one. My involvement with caregiving um, and the challenges of caregiving started when I was a really young nurse. I had just graduated, and so this was back in the early 80s. And my dad had a stroke and had some profound behavioral changes, Um, and this was kind of an irreversible, profound stroke as well. And my mom um, did what she could do for a couple years, no, for about a year, and eventually she came to me and she said, you know, Tracy, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. And um, I was living out of state at the time, and so Again, so one of the challenges with caregiving is trying to organize your family to support you. So I did, I did um, transition my job and moved uh, to, uh, back to Arizona to take care of my dad as a primary caregiver. And um, what I found that fortunately for me, as a new nurse, I did have a lot of the skills and, you know, uh, the experience dealing with the pain and symptom management that most caregivers don't have. But I certainly came out of this experience guard. I mean, it, it changed my relationship with my dad, with my mom, with my siblings, um, and I think what I realized is that this isn't working, and there's got to be a better way to do this. Even for me, who had a lot of knowledge of, A, the system, I could navigate the system myself, plus I knew the pain and symptom management issues. I knew... You know, some of the issues that surround deciding uh, what options you have with someone who's dying. You know, do we look at long-term care? Do we look at a hospice? Do we look at hospitalization? And while I, I did, um, I am a strong advocate for people dying at home. What I realize is that uh, caregiving is, is an incredible, uh, overwhelming burden for a lot of people, And so dying at home is not necessarily the only choice or even the right choice. I think, and as we'll talk in this conversation, I think what we as caregivers find, especially when we've kind of been in the system for a while, is that we've had interactions with the hospital system that are not necessarily patient-friendly, certainly are not patient-centered, and they're not humanistic. They're very episodic and very cold in many respects. So for many of us, we make um, unrealistic, um, you know, um, promises to our loved ones saying, oh, don't worry, Dad, Mom, whoever, we will never put you back in the hospital because you want to die at home, I'm going to make this happen for you. Well, what I found was that's not realistic. So this was back in the early 80s just when hospice was developing a voice in the states. And the hospice movement um, was just beginning to form and develop some governmental framework and governmental support. So I got involved then at just at the right time to begin to establish some policy around what are your options as a caregiver.
2: Now, Tracy, I'm going to take you into a question whereby I ask you to tell us about palliative care and end-of-life care provided for persons dying at home, and who, do, who are the people who do the providing? Tracy?
3: Well, there's a couple of uh, things I want to clear up first, is that, that I really want to be really clear about the differentiation or the difference between palliative care and end-of-life care. All end-of-life care should be palliative, but certainly palliative care is not necessarily end-of-life care. So we wanted to have, have some clarity around that, Gordon. hmm So um, palliative care is obviously an, uh, an approach to care that's provided to anyone at any age um, with any diagnosis who has been provided at some point here a life-limiting diagnosis. Now, it doesn't mean the diagnosis is going to happen today or the, the life-limiting Issue will happen today. As a matter of fact, people early in their um, palliative trajectory are curable. And I've, you know, worked with many patients, you know, uh, cancer patients, um, cardiac patients, uh, chronic disease management patients who are, are certainly going to be in the system for many years. And for some of the cancer patients and cardiac patients, they'll be cured. But they're coming into um, an environment where they need palliative support. So they need um, a holistic approach to their symptoms. So whether it's pain, whether it's a new mom that's been diagnosed with breast cancer and has, you know, a 12- and 13-year-old at home, that even though this breast cancer is probably going to be curable, I still have to deal with my children. What am I going to tell them? How am I going to deal with this? You know, she's going to be having pain and symptoms that she's not able to handle and probably is handling, you know, pain or lymphedema issues right now. So palliation begins with any um, new diagnosis that has life-limiting overtones. Um, End of life now is um, a trajectory where we're looking at 12 months to 6 months out of a prognosis that says, you know, we have done everything we can possibly do to cure you. At this point, we have no more quivers, no more arrows in our quiver. We're done. So, um, you know, we've tried our clinical trials. We've tried what we can do. You know, we've brought in all the alternative, all the complementary medicines. At this point, there's nothing else we can offer you in curative. But um, we can transition into end-of-life palliative care which is really about comfort care. And I think that what you'll hear, and I think as we'll talk further in this uh, discussion, many patients and many families go, oh, no, this won't work for us, because palliative care means to us as, as caregivers, or us, to patients, as we're giving up hope. So if I get into palliative care, regardless of whether it's a new diagnosis that's potentially curable or whether this is an end-of-life situation where, you know what, There's, there's miracles. You know, a miracle could happen. So I don't want to get into a palliative situation that I'm basically saying there is no hope, and I'm saying this to my loved one who I love more than life itself. So I think that part of this whole palliative picture is really supporting people, as we'll talk, about transitioning hope so what does
2: hope mean i'm going to stop you there because we're going to go into a break any moment and that's a very important point that i don't want to rush you on so we'll take the break now uh, i always like to say this is where we have to pay our rent Um, This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Tracy Soloninka. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Palm River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. (laughs) Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Papacili. Radio derived by.
4: If you're looking for answers and solutions, you don't have to look to expensive treatments, consultations, and methods. All you have to do is listen to your connections. Every week, the Dr. Melanie Show will teach you how to do just that. Dr. Melanie Barton will share her gifts and talents and teach you to do the same. And in doing so, find the solutions to the issues in your life that you truly need. You'll learn about holistic and practical health in six key areas. Discover the Dr. Melanie Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tracy Saloninka. Our topic is When a Family Member is Dying, a Care List for Family Caregivers. So let's talk about the challenges for family caregivers, caring for family members. Now I had, was thinking of asking you when, who are dying, but I'm going to change that for family members who are receiving palliative care or who are at the end of life. So please tell us, first of all, about the challenges experienced by family caregivers caring for a family member who is actually dying in the end stages of life in a hospice or a care facility?
3: So, if you have made the decision uh, at this point, uh, hospice, by the way, is very um, exclusive. So, the odds that you are dying in a hospice in Canada are not significant. There's um, less than... Three percent of the people that actually die in a hospice environment. But um, the odds that you're going to be dying in a long-term care environment are significantly greater. You know, probably 20% of people die in a long-term care environment. You know, I think that the challenges facing caregivers anytime you're not dying in your home are significantly actually less than when you're actually dying in your home. So the journey accompanying a caregiver when you're dying in a facility um, is mitigated in some degree because you can be uh, a caregiver, I mean, or you can be the person that you are. You can be the daughter, you can be the wife, you can be the son, so, or you can be the next door neighbor that has looked after this person forever. You don't have to lose your identity when you're delivering or you're accompanying your loved one at the end of life in a facility. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not fraught with, with concerns on your part because certainly um, you're going to have all the psychosocial issues that accompany that. You're facing a huge loss. You, and to some degree, you get a sense of that loss with, uh, who am I now? You can kind of get a sense of that but you're not having to deal with that as viscerally as if you were at home with someone doing all of the caregiving as well. And we'll talk about that in the next segment. But the issues in uh, no matter where you are accompanying someone on this journey are still going to um, be similar from the perspective of uh, just the logistics. What, what am I going to do about money? What am I going to do about banking? I don't even know where our bank accounts are kept, really. And believe it or not, I see this all the time. I've seen women who have never written a check or have no idea how to access online banking. Um, And I guess I shouldn't say just women. It seems to be more women. But men, too, whose wives have taken care of this forever. So just the logistics of carrying on now as a single person are, unless you have a checklist, that says, I've looked at these issues and I have a sense of what's missing or a sense of what I need to go over with my husband or wife, you're not going to know until after this um, person has died, and then you don't have the information. And I think that's why a checklist is is critical as you go into this phase.
2: Right. Now, you've led us very well into now the question of the challenges um, for family caregivers caring for a family member who is dying at home, challenges. Um,
3: the the issue is the issues are so um, multi-layered that it's hard to pull out one string because they're all so intertwined, and it sneaks up on you. So unless you've got some kind of checklist that you're working from. You're going to wake up one morning, and you're going to be so exhausted, and you're going to have a <clears throat> excuse me a trip to the uh, physician that day that you really haven't arranged transportation for. Um, you thought your daughter was going to come pick you up, but oh my gosh, she's not available. You really don't have uh, a list of his current medications or her current medications, and you know that the physician going to ask for them. Um, you uh, finally uh, arrange transportation. And now um, your husband or wife just is, is throwing up and cannot get out to the car now. So now you're going to have to arrange some other time. So the, the issues, unless you can predict or, or be proactive in identifying problems ahead of how they're going to happen, you're always in reaction. So part of developing a checklist is saying, okay, so what, what, do, I, what do I need to know? Where is my list of medications? Where is my list of appointments? Who can help me get to and from this appointment? Who can help me clean the house? Who can help me take care of the dog when I'm going to be in the hospital with my husband or wife for the next four days? Um, who can, um, you know, be there to support me when I, I need sleep? I, I can no longer do 24 hours a day. Who's going to be able to understand how to research um, a, a private caregiver, because CCAC, and so we'll talk a little bit about um, this, the resources that are available to you as a caregiver to support you in this journey, but the reality is it takes time to research these people, to find out who can help you, what the cost will be, what's paid for and what's not paid for. So while I don't mean to sound overwhelming here. I have been, I have attended literally hundreds of deaths, and the ones that um, are reasonably good have enabled the caregiver to be, throughout at least part of this trajectory, able to be a husband or a wife or a daughter and celebrate, or son, and celebrate what this person has meant to them. And not every relationship's good. You'll find that out when you, you know, as you move through this situation. Not every relationship's good, but the person who's dying, if there's anything that they really want, they want to know that their life's had meaning. That's it. I mean, you transition hope from hope for cure to hope that, you know, A, my life's had meaning, that I haven't lived this whole life, and this is it. It's over, and there's no meaning. So how do you as a caregiver help develop this legacy? And if you're tired and you're exhausted and you're scared, so a lot of the time you're scared as a caregiver because you don't know the pain and symptom management issues that you're facing, you don't know what lies ahead five days, you're seeing it you're fatigued and you may have to look at placement, but what do I do about that? Where do I place my, you know, what options do I have? You see that the um, you know professional caregivers, you know, are not quite as consistent as you hoped they were going to be. You can see that um, CCAC is not providing that level of care that or the the hours of care that really you need to just survive yourself. And so, having that that list again will support you and. Uh, we 'll talk about where do you find that list, how do you create that list? But having that list that supports you in thinking ahead, even if it 's thinking ahead five days, will make right. a huge, huge difference in being able to get through this in a way that you know six months from now, when your loved one has died and you 're sitting there with a cup of tea in the morning, you have some good memories
2: and right. you Tracy, I'm just going to stop you at that point because I have another question that I want to put to you, and it's this. Oh, many, many of the things that you've just been talking about, I, I get the impression you learned from family caregivers, directly or indirectly. Please tell us about the other things that you learned from doing the work that you're doing. Please.
3: During the work I did, I think I learned very few people have the capacity to just relax into this process. And I think, you know, if you've, many of us have heard, you don't get too many dress rehearsals at dying. And uh, what I learned by watching people is that this is, for caregivers, um, this is something you've never experienced before. A, you haven't died, and B, you haven't supported your loved one And your unique loved one, you may have supported an aunt or an uncle or a mother at one time, but this is a different relationship. They're all unique. So when I watch people move through this situation, what I see is that they're so busy reacting and there's such little direction for them that they don't have an opportunity to really be, to be with this person, to try and really create for themselves um, some relaxation and nurturance. They're so exhausted that by the time this person dies, they don't even have time to grieve. And I think you'll see that there's a real rationale for why grieving uh, doesn't take place right away. You're so busy, you know, they haven't looked at the funeral. They haven't written the obituary. They haven't um, looked at who they were going to contact. So, the whole post death process becomes just another challenge, another chore. But they don't even have time to relax enough with their loved one to grieve appropriately. And then it's another year and the first anniversary comes around and you're thinking, How did this where did this go? How did this happen? I don't even I don't even remember the last three months of my husband's life. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to have um, bad memories or no memories, or this is the only time you'll get to do this. And that's my biggest um, frustration with the system is that we don't create enough time for caregivers to A, learn how to caregive, and B, give them the tools so they can make informed decisions. So, you as a caregiver, or me as a you know, watching caregivers, you're just so busy responding and reacting that it's over before you know it and you haven't been able to do anything.
2: This is what she was saying earlier, that in this situation you're just talking about, the family caregiver um loses the personality that he or she had before, loses the role in the family and just becomes uh dominated by the... Caregiving,
3: becomes a uh, caregiver, not a family member.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Now, it is time for us to take the break, so we'll do that there now, but we're coming back to some more of this vitally important discussion. So this is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Tracy Soloninka. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
4: Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful, that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with a passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, Please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. org. Now back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite, and Tracy Soloninka. Our topic is when a family member is dying, a care list for family caregivers. Tracy, now let's talk about the information needs of family caregivers caring for a family members who are dying um or if you want to change that to also include different sorts of palliative care or caring please do so but my first question to you is this what are the information needs of family caregivers on matters related to the medical condition of their family member there's
3: a um certainly logically um You need to have all of your information in one place. So you need all of your health and medical insurance. You need to know exactly what you have. You need all of your health card numbers. You need your, if you have any associated um, supporting insurance. You need everything documented in one place. And I think you'll, you know, I can um, certainly uh, list um, a couple of sites, you know, that have good caregiving packets. But I think we're looking at, um, so what do you need as far as your, just your documentation? What do you need for your doctors? Have everything available, doctor one, doctor two, doctor three. How do you reach them? What are their resources? What are their, their phone numbers? What are their off hours? Who do you call, what do you call them for? Do you have a palliative care physician? If so, what is his or her name? Do you have a family physician? Have you sat down and actually... Talk to the family physician about um, the, the situation, the medications, what you want. How engaged is your family physician? Because you can't do this alone. And the nurse can't do this alone. The CCAC care provider can't do this alone. Your medical oncologist can't do this alone. So you need to ensure you, you engage your family physician and he or she is part of this journey with you. So you need all of this information. You also need a list then that that outlines where you've you've been, what are the medications, Um, when do you take them, what are they for, Uh, and be very specific about this because you're going to find that caregivers will come into your home, professional caregivers, nurses, uh, personal support workers, but certainly if you are at home, nurses are going to be coming into your home. And for the most part, we have a system now where you will have access to a palliative nurse. Uh, she or he or she may not be uh, have in-depth training, but they have access to people who have in-depth training. So they're going to be giving you a lot of information. And if you try and remember this, unless you are a, a doctor or a nurse yourself, It'll be impossible. They need to write it down because unfortunately they won't be writing it down for you. So they're going to give you some thresholds. They'll say, you know, you can start with giving your your mom one of these pills now at night. But Now if they wake up in three hours and they're still having pain, well then go ahead and give them a half pill. And it's going to say that on the bottle. But then you're, if you're trying to remember this in the middle of the night, you'll think, do I wait? Do I not wait? Write everything down very clearly and very um, logically according to uh, like a paper pathway that you can change easily because all of these medications, whether it's for pain, whether it's for how you're changing the dressing um, on their wound, whether it's for nausea, um, for shortness of breath. And then they're going to say, So these are the medications that we're going to give you, this is how you can take these medications. And, oh, if it gets really bad in the middle of the night, you can actually give some medication through this little needle in his leg. They're going to teach you all these things. But unless you write them down and have them totally available, or in my experience what works really well is to have a family member there with you who hears the information or to tape it. So you know what? what? Hang on a minute. I need not you, uh, the family member. Hang on a minute. I need to actually, you know, put the tape recorder on because um, it helps you remember then later. But you're going to be getting information from so many different people that you need to write it down for pain and symptom management, um, in particular.
2: Right, all at a time when you're worried and concerned, uh, Tracy, well,
3: and you don't know it.
2: No, no, you've had no training in it. This is something new. Now, I want to ask you. Inf- about information needs of family caregivers on matters related to the support of their family members at the end of their lives, that is to say the other kinds of information they need in relation to the broader support. What are those information needs?
3: You know, I, and I'm not sure specifically what that's related to And from, from the perspective of what I've learned, Gordon, is that um, the person going through this journey that is actually dying at end of life it's their journey, and they'll have—they're going to uh, go through this journey exactly like they've lived. So they may have a lot of fear, and they may have a lot of um, uh, kind of existential distress from the perspective of—is this all there is? I, I can't begin to tell you the number of people who have sat, who I've sat with at end of life, who have said to me, "You know, Tracy, is this it?" I don't know, I just expected dying to be, I don't know, something more like I'd learned something or there'd be some message that was delivered to me at end of life that I would see life more clearly or I'd understand things. I didn't realize this was it. And not only is this it, but I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to die. And... Is there like do I do something, or do I have to like i don't know I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing now, and I think that this isn't something that yes, people transition into death, but there's also kind of a kind of a questioning along the way about the best way or having you know distress around not doing it right um and for family caregivers, this can be extremely um uh scary because they don't know how to do it either. So a lot of um caregiving or a lot of the non-medical issues revolve around um being sure that you're going to be okay. So um you'll see that most um people who are dying if if you know they've got a caregiver taking care of them, uh, they want to be sure that this caregiver is going to be okay without them. So to the extent that you can reassure your loved one that, yes, I'm going to miss you horribly, but I will, we will get through this, and we will be okay. You've taught us everything we need throughout our life and our, our life together for me to go on and be okay. And this is extremely important for most people. And, but to have the skill sets and having those kind of discussions with someone doesn't happen without some support from a professional caregiver, typically, to be able to help you identify what the caregiver is really asking, to be able to support you in having this conversation, and many times to facilitate the conversation. But you have to be able to be, honestly, you have to be able to be non-stressed enough, and that's why, you know, bringing in some you know, even paid caregivers that can help you sleep a little bit at night so you can actually sit with your loved one and have these kind of discussions
2: is critical. Right. Tracy, also information needs, but this time relating to what's term, psychosocial needs, spiritual needs of the family member, of the family, and of the family caregiver. What are the information needs in those situations?
3: Um, Psychosocial spiritually, uh, people begin to, um, well, from a a psychosocial, there's just the reality of um, facing death. So having someone help facilitate the, the dying conversations. And sometimes, Gordon, people never want to have those conversations. And that's okay. You just have to know that they really don't want to talk about their death. They want to celebrate the life that they had, but you need some ability to differentiate that. Um, Spiritually, um, it really depends on um, your history spiritually. I can't tell you the number of people that have been afraid to die because spiritually they have real fears about what happens after death. (laughs) And so ensuring that you have your faith group, if you do have a faith group, um, available to kind of walk through this with this person is critical, and to be able to reassure them and, you know, provide that peace of mind that everything's going to be okay. And if if they need, you know, a last rites or absolution of some kind, that you've got the people available to do that for them because i think that for a lot of people they've put you know they've become you know for for an example a lapsed catholic that maybe hasn't been to church for the last you know 25 years and suddenly oh my goodness i think maybe i underestimated the impact of my catholicism on myself so you know suddenly you've got to have access to those people that can step in at any time and support this person, and those things come up all the time it's very common um, psychosocially um, there, there's also the fact that money's a big deal, a big issue for a lot of people and um, the psycho- the social worker is excellent at helping you understand what to do about identifying money issues you know getting money from you know the benefits um, from, from compassionate benefits how to set that up things that you wouldn't, I mean, uh, psychologically, it's, you're really afraid, you know, to run out of money and to know how to spend money to get help. The other thing that comes up psychologically um, a lot, um, is very common, are the issues with children. And I see this, well, you know, probably 80% of the time, where you've got unresolved issues with your children. And how do you resolve those? You're not, you know... These are long-standing issues that you, as a uh, caregiver, you want your daughter to come home and talk to your dad, or you want your son to put away his issues and talk to his dad. They haven't talked for 25 years. So you, as a caregiver, need support to say, A, how can we facilitate this for you, or B, this may never happen. You know, it may never be resolved, and will have to work with you to work through this so uh, you, your, your loved one can die with some, um, some degree of comfort that everyone will be okay.
2: Is that an, in, a, an end point that seeks to settle tensions that might otherwise exist? Is that an end point, so to speak, that seeks to reassure give a sense of peace, and perhaps also um, remove any sense of guilt that there might be on anybody's part. Is that am I more, a little bit right on that one?
3: Um, I think it is an end point for I don't know that it ends up being an end, that there's ever able to be resolution, but I think that uh, to the extent that you can identify these issues and, and facilitate the identif- identification of these issues, and I think, you know, Gordon, being a physician, I'm sure you've you've been in these situations where you hear things as a caregiver, either it's either the the caregiver that's sitting there with you, you've got a, a husband or a wife that just really wants to tell you things that she or she has never told you. And, you know, uh, secrets come out and issues are put on the table that unless you've got some Somebody to call, and that's part of having this checklist so that you have talked to CCAC, and you have said, you know, uh, at some point you need to know the resources that are available for you because when these things are raised, they're raised at times when you need support. You can't do it by yourself. It's way, way too intense. So, yes, trying to resolve these issues at end of life, and and it's very complex, and it's very... um, um, it's intertwined with all the history that families bring to end of life. And I think in my experience, there's seldom not something going on. There's seldom not one family member not talking to another family member or, you know, something that comes up that needs resolution. And a lot of times money is a big issue. Who is the power of attorney and why are you making these decisions? And is this really, you know, do we really want to be spending money this way? Right. You know, this is my legacy that you're spending.
2: Tracy, I'm going to stop us now because we do we have to take the break. Um, so let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Tracy Sillenenko. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back.
0: What's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
4: What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business.
1: Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, But how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris. Real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tracy Saloninka. Our topic is when a family member is dying a care list for family caregivers. So now let's talk about a care list. Um, Tracy, what do you mean by a care list? You've explained quite a lot of it. What types of information would a care list aim to provide to family caregivers? Tracy?
3: It can be very structured, uh, very uh, um, spreadsheet-looking. Well, you're actually, in, If you go uh, online, you can certainly go online and look at uh, hospice sites. and, and um, if, I'm going to give you the name of one, if that's okay. Sure. Um, there's a uh, like a good site in the states, John Muir Healthcare, M U I R, and John Muir um, is one of and these. This happens to be a hospice, but you'll find if you start researching them, you'll find checklists from most of the major hospices that, and John Muir is one of them. They look very similar. They're very spreadsheet-like, and they kind of walk you through all of the things that we've talked about. What are the health and medical issues? What are the medications? What are the, you know, the, um, the wills, the, the powers of attorney, the durable powers of attorney? Who are your close friends? Um, what are the um, medical conditions? What are your investments? Um, who's going to help you? Um, uh, who can you call on? And that's part of your list of friends and family members. That you can call on and be very specific about this. And it asks you to call ahead and have these conversations to say, is there some way that you'd be willing or able to help me if I need someone to, you know, take me to the doctors or, you know, if I need someone to help spend the night so I can get some sleep. Um, and the, so the checklist walks you through the various domains that we've talked about. <clears throat> it, it asks you to identify Who the professional caregiver agencies are in your um, area? And certainly you'll start here in Ontario by calling CCAC, the Community Care Access Center. Now, you may not, depending on where you are in Canada, you may not start there. You may start with a different, whoever, you know, the Ministry of Health in your area. But when you start, if you start walking through this list, it will begin to ask you enough questions that you'll... um, begin to identify more and more granular level of what you need to find in your own organization.
2: I want to ask you uh, a more direct question. Is this work you do? Do you prepare lists like this? Um, and if so, where could your work be accessed?
3: I do, and I certainly, um, it's, I can list it for people, or I can give it to you to find it on the Durham Regional Cancer Center But it's primarily at this point for our patients. It's not public access, and I think your depending on who your caregiver is, they may or may not have a list like this. That's why I'm looking. You can find these lists online without really too much effort. You just need to know that you're you're looking for, you know, caregiver checklists at end of life. And they will walk you through pretty much step by step. I think you need to understand, though, and that's part of our earlier discussion, was how important it is not, not take anything for granted about your capacity. You, as a professional, I mean, as a personal caregiver, are going to encounter situations that you thought you'd be able to get through just fine. You thought you'd be able to clean your house or take care of your dogs or do your grocery shopping or drive to doctor's appointments. So you anticipated that you wouldn't need to fill out that section of your care list. And you're going to find that, you know, the situation changes overnight for most people. And so just walk through it very logically and very systematically. Fill it out. You know, call the people on your care list. Be sure that you... Um, Talk to CCAC and find private caregivers as well because you will need them. I always tell people, you know, if this is, if you were going to spend money in your life, this is a time to spend it because you will need the, the rest that professional caregivers provide if you can't get the, all the caregiving you need, caregiving you need from the system, and you won't be able to.
2: Right. Now, you're an, Tracy, you're an advocate for family caregivers caring for dying family members. So what's your message uh, for the family caregivers? What do you have to say to them?
3: Um, you know, I, I think if there's anything that I've learned is that you only get one chance to do this. And you only get one chance to share this final journey. So think ahead. Be kind to yourself. Uh, find the help you need early on and take the time you need or find the time you need to be the relationship that you are. And I think you'll find, in my experience, that most people who are dying kind of, they, they know what's happening. They're not, you know, you know, we try and hide things from people and we try and do all the work ourselves and you'll find that people know. Your loved one knows. So be kind to yourself, take the time that you need, be open and honest, and um, think ahead, because like I said, you only get one chance to do this.
2: So that comes back to so many of the things you've been talking about. That is making sure that you do get help for what you're doing, so that... This process of family caregiving doesn't devour you to the point where you lose your personality and cease to be the loving partner of the loved one who's on the final journey. Uh, It also comes back to... Uh, the point that you made several times which is you need a list you need to know where you're up to you need to have the information you need to be able to uh, produce the information you need to be able to remember things that are important at a particular time and all of that becomes part of this process of caring for a loved one at the end of life in such a way that you stay the person you really are and that way the relationship is maintained until the end of the life of the individual now again I'm doing a summary back to you am I right do you want to change anything in that
3: I don't think so Gordon I think that's a pretty accurate summary I do think that that you know part of the caregiving journey is to have some some resolution at the end, <clears throat> um, because you're going to be grieving. And this will be a loss that that you'll you will take with you forever. You know, it doesn't heal over. You are a new person now with this loss. You will never, ever be the person that you were. And so it doesn't mean that you'll be less of a person, but you'll be a different person. So, to be able to grieve in a healthy manner, and I think one of the, if there's a huge gap that we have for caregivers in Canada, is that we don't have formal bereavement processes like they do in the States and like they do in Europe. So, uh, bereavement is part of the caregiver process in Europe and in the United States. And if you take on somebody um, as a formal caregiver, You're responsible in in the United States for caregiving or for providing bereavement for that person for the next year. That's your commitment. That's part of your your reimbursement. We don't have that here, and it's a huge gap because you need to be able to process, you know, the whole caregiving journey and the relationship that you had. And, And you're going to, no matter how hard you try and do this perfectly, you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to have regrets. And there's going to be parts of uh, the journey that you think, oh, I should have done this differently. Why did I say that? And you're going to have guilt and you're going to have anger. And so to the extent that you can mitigate that with a, a checklist, ensuring that you honestly sleep is a huge thing to the extent that you can get through this with, you know, some modicum of, you know, rest and, you know, not lose your identity totally. You'll be able to grieve a little more healthily, but you still need uh, the time to do it and you need the support to do it. And that, again, is a huge gap that we have here.
2: Right. Tracy, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode, but I want to thank you, but also to say to you, this is a very powerful, important set of messages, set of advice, pieces of advice, a set of understandings and a set of uh, the feeling that there's hope managing the situation can lead to peace and some satisfaction, to some degree at least, that a job has been done that um, needed to be done in a way that um, some satisfaction at least was a achieved in a situation which otherwise we all, either way, dread. So thank you for that. Thank you for those insights. And may I wish you on behalf of everyone all success to you and continuing success in your work. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode we'll talk about tools for family caregivers for changing lives of family members with chronic pain. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then.